Hello again. Welcome to the Selling on eBay radio show. We're here to save you money, to increase your sales, and to have fun. Yeah, fun. The lines are open for your calls and texts. 1 833 eBay 723. That's 1 833 322 9723. This is fake announcer guy saying here's Philip and Sherry. So that's uh, Sherry Smith and Philip Jackson with you, your hosts on the Selling on eBay radio show. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Sherry's a full-time eBay seller based over in Colorado uh, where she sells a lot of stuff on consignment. And uh, you might even met her, you never know. If you were at that last uh, in-person eBay open event, I know it's a long time ago, but you'd remember her because she was the one carrying that little dog around all the time. Remember that lady? That's her. And Philip's background is in product management, yeah. but he quit that a long time ago. Got booted out. In favor <laughs> of selling high-end audio equipment. However, his skills get some use when he gives feedback. His very Ooh. valuable... There goes the music. And feedback. I guess I'm done. (laughs) Sorry. I meant to fade it out, but there we go. Well, that's the idea. It's 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 kind of like a radio show. Whatever we hear, that's what you get to hear, mistakes and all. And uh, if you want to take part, the lines are open. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail. That's 833-EBAY-723 is the number. And um, hopefully things will hold up long enough to uh, bring you a full show today. And uh, what do we have in today's show? Well, I think Chicken Little's been running oh, no. around. Is the sky really falling on uh, for auction sellers? Yeah, some tubers think, YouTubers think that's the case. And uh, you may have seen eBay uh, is in the process of announcing their quarter four results. They gave a, a commentary on that, and we took a look at that. And we'll try and figure out, read between the lines a little bit, and figure out what that means for sellers. Oh, well, you're good at that, Philip. I just make and stuff which, up. <laughs> what should you do if a buyer refuses uh. Delivery and uh, yes, it's uh, it's back to the old cyber stalking case again. We'll uh, bring you the update on that. Okay, let's move on. eBay news, Sherry. What do we have this week? Okay, so eBay issues their re-commerce report, and it's pretty exciting. I think buyers love mm. pre-loved. They calling it pre-loved goods and pre-used items. First of all, out of okay, so they separated it out by age group. And all sellers, 42% of them, said they sell on eBay to make extra cash. Mm. But Gen Zers, 58% of them said they turned to eBay to make extra cash. But then we've got some bigger numbers. 90% said reducing waste was an important aspect. I mean, I know that got me excited because Mm. when I'm trying to get rid of something because I'm not using it, I have some guilt about it in but when I first sold on eBay, it made me feel so good that somebody was loving it and I didn't just waste it or throw it away and I got some money for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have more stats though. Uh, let's see here. So I always find this document rather self-congratulatory and I'm afraid I don't get really, <laughs> really far into it. Maybe that's eBay why I'm trump- trumpeting its own horn a bit on this one, but uh, I guess you're more up to that, more in for that than I am. I think I can relate to them because I I tend to toot my own horn as well. 90% of buyers said they they have purchased pre-loved goods on eBay in the past year, 90%. And 93% of sellers, uh, oh, well, I already said that, said that uh, sustainability was very important to them. I mean, who's going to say they don't care? Right. It's a platform that sells secondhand goods. I mean, what's it going to say? I mean, it strikes me as... um I don't know. I mean, they, they 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 like pulling a few stats out that they can then work in to other things as upbeat messages to try and sort of drown out some of the things that maybe don't go so well over the year. So they they like having these reports done, lots of analysis, right? Yes, it it is a very um, uplifting report. And seventy nine percent of sellers said that their selling on eBay has stayed the same or increased over mm-hmm. the prior six months due to the economy. So they, oh, I uh, okay. That's kind of interesting. I mean, I am seeing some shorts and posts on Instagram about how tough the economy is getting. But if you're selling the right thing, you can still keep your sales up. Um, And then they talked about international as well. Although I can't find um, my notes about that, but eBay is very focused on that. Absolutely, yep. 
Yeah. Obviously, with one of their big thing rollouts with the inter eBay international shipping, they're doing that to give international buyers um, confidence in buying things because they can return them because eBay is going to handle that. Uh, let's see here. Okay, we already talked about that. So, um, well, I can't find exactly the thing about international, what I had there. But um, I do want to say that eBay has two programs coming up where yeah. they're going to make a big push to buyers. Mm -hmm. And one of them, and they're, and it's all around pre-loved goods. Okay. So uh, this one of them is going to start uh, in early March and the other one in later March. And one of them um, revolves around charities for women to help women. Uh, so uh, sellers who are donating at least a certain amount, certain sellers um, to charities, buyers will find their items by going through this big marketing push that they're making. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is about um, a, a big markdown, like save up to 60% mm -hmm. on these pre-loved goods. So the bottom line of that is that eBay is making these big marketing pushes to buyers to direct them to pre-owned goods. Okay. Also, maybe not Clothing. quite related. Uh, we don't have the uh, the Shine Awards anymore for sellers. I think it's the up and running thing is their current incarnation. And that must be coming out fairly soon, I would have thought. Um, they haven't announced it yet, but that must be sort of in the next month or so, I would have thought, right? Well, on March 2nd, you know, at the seller call, mm -hmm. is that the right day? I know there's a networking room with Stephanie Hall, and she's going to talk about up and running. That's oh, the okay. topic All of, right. of that. Because a lot of us kind of keep an eye on that. We still live in the forlorn hope yeah. that we're going to make ten grand out of this thing, uh, and it's about time to start. You know, penciling down some ideas for how you might craft your response. I think because uh, it's never too soon to start to think through that one. Uh, the day and before be it's due idea. in is a bad time to start thinking about it. So that's right. Go. All right. But also you should visit that networking room with Stephanie mm -hmm. Hall because she's the one who's running. Okay. We'll give you details yeah. a little bit later on when we do our sort of diary notes for the uh, the upcoming week. Uh, also in the news this week, if I can press on here. Uh, oh, I noticed that and we talked a bit about this, that eBay's changed the return flow, hasn't announced anything being different. We talked last time about the fact that it doesn't tell you up front the cost of using an eBay label, which makes it harder for you to do the arithmetic as to whether it's worth sending your own label as a PDF or whether you use theirs. I also noticed that they have completely taken away the option of send the other person a message, which seems odd to me. Because I was about to have a rant, I think, one of these weeks about why no one apologizes for anything anymore. And they just kind of feel that giving you a return label is all they have to do. They don't then need to say, I'm sorry for screwing up the listing and wasting your time. And maybe part of it is that eBay discourages it. Because I, I have one of these things, and I thought, well, I'll send a message saying, I'm sorry this worked out the way it did. And there's no option to send a message. You have to go back to the listing and then do contact buyer. Wait, Philip, I want to clarify something. Sorry. So yeah. is this in the area before you've saying that you've decided like refund them? Or are you talking about when you issue the refund, there's no bubble to have a message there? If it, it, cause you'll get an email saying, uh, so-and-so wants to return an item. It's been automatically accepted per eBay policy. Click here to issue the return label. And uh, first of all, that doesn't say, by the way, if you choose to use an eBay label, it's $11. So you can figure out whether you want to use your own one or not. That's gone. It will pop up later on, but you're kind of further down the process at that point. And they didn't seem in this one to be a message to send the message, send the buyer a message. It okay. wants you to get straight down the nitty gritty of doing the label. And one of eBay's thoughts, I know, is that they don't like. They think they think that people on the platform get too many messages, and they seem to like to try and kill off messages. Um, and to my mind, that's an important message to say. Look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I messed up, or I'm sorry I wasted your time, or thank you very much. For make, let me make it right, or whatever it is you want to say. 
And to me, that's just as much as an important part of the returns process as actually sending the label. It's 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 saying that you accept responsibility for having made a mess up, typically. Even if you didn't, it's still a good idea to say that. Yeah, and actually, sometimes you could use that area to say, uh, before I issue you a label, did you want to keep it with yes. a partial refund? Yes, yes. So uh, that's kind of gone then, huh? Yeah, or uh, let me just check that this thing really doesn't work or doesn't suit. Have you tried turning it on or turning it <laughs> off for 30 seconds or whatever the, the diagnostic process is? You know, yeah. They, they, they seem to, I think, maybe they feel that sellers are trying to weasel out of returns and will try and, you know, drag out the process by going back and forth too often. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, I wish I would be allowed to manage my business. And it's one of the things that I don't think eBay knows better about, about what I'm doing than I do. And it just seems an annoyance to me that they try and impose their view of how I should run things on me. Yeah, and that is one of the downsides of selling on eBay. It's 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 their playground and their rules. Anyway, so anyway, let me know if, if you've run into that, whether you've um, seen that, or whether that's a good or bad thing from your point of view. Does it streamline things? Does it stop mucking about, or is it uh, a step backwards? Uh, you can get in touch. The website, by the way, if you want to find out emails and all that sort of stuff, is sell 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 dot online. Let us know what you think. And we mentioned earlier, Sherry, that uh, people have been on YouTube and other places talking about the end of the world if you're in auctions. But apparently it's not quite as bad as some people might have you believe. That's right. In Ohio, they passed a bill, Bill 321, and it says uh, some things about requiring an auctioneer's license. And actually at the meetup, I don't know exactly which meetup, but it was in Ohio, mm. they had... Uh, the representative Bob Young spoke there. There were 40 people in attendance and reassuring them that the goal of that bill was not to affect eBay sellers. And there is some verbiage in there that has to be corrected so that it isn't misunderstood. And then um, also in eBay's government relations team, they don't see any other states like working on trying to create a similar bill, but even the state that has it, it's not meant for eBay sellers. All right, so eBay's message is nothing to see here, move along, just yeah. keep it moving. Uh, don't worry about uh, it. It's probably somewhere in the middle, but we'll see. Okay, thank you for that. And also I know you're into your, your parts and spares and stuff for your car, Sherry, nothing more exciting than a weekend under the engine, getting things changed out. Apparently, we've got uh, new um, ideas about how eBay is going to support the uh, the folks selling parts and accessories for cars. Yes. So uh, it they announced on February 14th that their new program is in place, and it's guaranteed fit. So eBay Motors will cover the cost of the return and the buyer will receive a full refund upon return. Um, this is to put more trust into the, you know, for buyers. And it also is an interesting shopping experience. So you can put your vehicle details, um, put in the vehicle year, make model as a buyer, mm -hmm. trim and engine information into Finder and then it searches my garage to search for new and used parts. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can also uh, go, let's see, and eBay Motors verifies that the details, vehicle details match the part compatibility. So if it does, you'll see this little green icon that says it fits, you know, it's a fits check mark uh -huh. to show that that's one of the ones that's part of this program. So not every part is in And then if for some reason it doesn't fit, or at least the buyer returns it with a reason code doesn't fit, then the eBay, the label for the return is picked up, cost of which is picked up by eBay. By eBay. So that's nice for sellers. There was a, there was a throwaway line, I think, in that same announcement that struck me as interesting, where they said, we will issue the label on the, the shipping carrier of our choice which is different from the regular return flow, which is basically USPS priority mail, take it or leave it. It kind of implied that they would use <laughs> UPS funny. or FedEx if they thought that was the better, the more cost-effective choice. So it's interesting that when it's their dime, yeah. uh, they, they go through all the hoops to try and figure out the cheapest, the cheapest way of doing it. When it's your dime, no, we're going to give it priority mail because we make a better margin on that label than probably we do on the other guys. So there you go. 
Yeah. Uh, and I know you were joking when you said this is my exciting thing because I don't do anything on a car. However, I am, have four wheels that are high end that I'm going to be selling. Oh, okay. And I noticed that this does not apply to tires or wheels. Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't, Fun fact. Uh, maybe you were able to pick up the detail. It wasn't, it, to, to qualify for this, you certainly have to have populated the, the fitment thingy on the listing when you create it. It wasn't clear to me whether the whole process was policed insofar as eBay would track whether the buyer had actually put in their car details, done the exact match on the listing, and then made the purchase, or whether they had just figured out for themselves that it fitted, and that was good enough. That was the bit that I couldn't work out, and I I probably won't know because I'm not going to be selling too many of these things. Yeah, I feel like eBay has to have, you know, have a process to make sure someone just doesn't buy something randomly. I got the impression that the the criteria was probably having the fitment guide set up, but it would be very hard for them to keep track of everybody's searches and all the potential cars they might own and verify that they had indeed gone through the match process in the buying flow, keeping track of all that stuff in the event of a return. Maybe they do, but it strikes me as quite a complicated complicated arrangement might be more cost than it's worth but um, if you know more than us which I think is in this issue going to be fairly easy for you to do so uh, do feel free to get in touch sell 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 dot online has all our details so that's the uh, uh, free return shippings on um, uh, parts and accessories okay let's press on here something that came up this week I think for you Shari was uh, the situation where a buyer refuses an item it doesn't doesn't want to take delivery now that triggers all sorts of things um, what was your experience well it was kind of a perfect storm because there were a lot of moving parts that made this happen the way that it did so I sell in my own account and then I sell for a nonprofit managing their account Mm-hmm. And for returns for the nonprofit, I have it set up when the buyers issued a return label, it comes to me, my location. However, the return address on the shipments is the nonprofits, and a person refused this wedding dress, which is in kind of a big box, you know, the box that they're in after they're dry cleaned. Right. So, so how much is the item worth and what's the cost of shipping it? Just that that's a scale here. Oh, uh, the item's worth like 70 bucks and mm. shipping it's like 30. Wow, okay. Maybe $25. Right. That's a reasonable chunk of the total. Yes. And um, the person contacted me and said, well, I don't need this anymore. I just re- refused the shipment. Mm-hmm. So... I checked the track and then she contacted me a number of days later and said, where's my refund? And I looked, I checked the tracking and the, the tracking on eBay on the order details showed that it had been delivered to them. It didn't show anything after that. So hmm. I also didn't hear anything from the nonprofit saying, oh, hey, we got this item delivered back to us. So eBay, I woke up the next morning and um, a case had been opened and closed in the buyer's favor. Which you never want to happen. Right. That's a That's ding. a big ding. That's a defect. On your account. Well, it's, it's, Get, it's, a, it's not, it's more, it's, yes, a defect on your account, but it's a nasty defect because it starts to count up against you in terms of, that's a, that's a, not something you want to happen because it begins to start to demote you in search and things after if you get too many of those in a row. Yeah, and if you get one more, you lose your top-rated seller status. I mean, that's not an exact figure, but in this case, it's true. So I called eBay, and she said, did you check the tracking on the UPS site? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I didn't. I just clicked it on eBay. And when I plugged it into a UPS on on their site, it showed the tracking of that it had been delivered back. So uh, our little piece of advice here is check the tracking on the carrier's site because apparently the tracking on eBay doesn't always show everything, which is odd to me. 
-hmm. but it's good to know because when that at the very least when the buyer contacted me i could have just plugged that in on ups and saw that it was returned the other thing that, that you and i talked about afterwards was that actually you you could have and maybe still could appeal that defect on the grounds that they gave a money-back guarantee to somebody when they weren't entitled to it. Because the money-back guarantee specifically excludes items that are refused by seller with the one caveat that if it's refused because there was insufficient postage, they're allowed to do that. Any other form of package refusal is immediately voids money-back guarantee, and you should automatically win that case, and you could probably win it on appeal if you wanted to go down that road. Um, and you know, my feeling would be, I would, I would, as a matter of principle, probably try and recover that, and then, then of course you can decide what you want to do with the money because they can't come after you if you get an appeal. Then obviously they can't leave negative feedback. You know, and I would probably take out the cost of you know whatever the commissions and fees and postage and packing and everything else, and let them have the rest. So I think the point that we're trying to make here, I think, is that. Um, um, uh, returning stuff by refusal is a very sneaky trick, and I've done that as a buyer, not in recent years. I, it's one something I used to do pretty regularly, actually. But uh, uh, but that was before the days of the money-back guarantee and everything being sort of much more organized. It was one of the sort of underhand tricks that you could play as a buyer, and the seller didn't really have a lot of options in dealing with it. But but now it's very specifically excluded from the, the, uh, the money-back guarantee. And if you do it as a buyer, uh, you risk losing your money and not getting any goods whatsoever. So that's a, that's a bit of a drawback. Um, but as a seller, yeah, absolutely. Keep an eye on that, and um, remember that it's uh, it, it's it's frowned upon in eBay land. And you can you can open a, a, a case or an appeal, and you'll win by definition. That's really good to know. I did not know that. So there we are. Uh, that's what to do if someone refuses an item. Obviously, you can handle it in a friendly way with the buyer, but there's no reason that you should be out of pocket because of that. They've they've you know dug themselves a big hole and jumped right in it. So you know that's to your advantage. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the uh, the cyber-stalking update, because we were expecting uh, this episode to have a lot of juicy material, and because uh, we had a change of judge in the case at the beginning of the calendar year. That's not unusual. I think judges rotate around at that time of year. Um, and the, judge, the previous judge, before he uh, left the role... Um, uh, sent the plaintiffs, which is the uh, the Steiners, uh, assisted by their attorney, Rosemary Scapiccio, I think her name is, which does sound to me like something you'd find on the hors d'oeuvres menu of a mid-priced Italian restaurant. Um, and uh, she sent them packing to go off and reformulate their complaint, that 91-page rather broad-brush, let's-fire-everything-and-everybody approach, had to be rewritten because everybody was firing everything back in all directions and the court was filling up with papers and not a lot of progress was being made in any legal matters. So uh, they were they were sent off. And that's a big plus, I think, to the plaintiffs to have a second crack at it because uh, they now know, of course, what all the other guys are going to do in terms of their defence. You've seen the arguments they're going to present. So to have a go round again is is quite a, you know, I think quite a plus point from their point of view. Uh and they were due to present that back to the court on the 15th of February. And everyone's sitting around going, oh, this is going to be interesting when they file this. It's the 13th. Nothing's come back yet. They're leaving it at the last minute. But on the 13th, uh, Rosemary files a request for an extension uh, to the end of February, beginning of March, with literally less than 48 hours to go. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, really? You could, didn't know before today that you were not going to get it done in time? I mean, that doesn't seem terribly professional. And what are you going to do if the judge doesn't agree? You know, you haven't got many other places to go at this point. And sure enough, the judge doesn't like the fact, I think, that the timing was not, um, you know, uh, it's kind of like holding a gun to the judge's head. And, the, and, the, and she just wrote back, denied, on the front page of the application. Now, that leaves now with 24 hours to go to refile the whole complaint, having asked for more time. And so, quick as, quick as anything, they file back a motion to reconsider, please. And really, I think it's the new judge just kind of imposing what she feels is necessary amount of discipline in this court. Because I, I think if any member of the, the court either side gets to the point where they think they can forecast exactly what the judge is going to do, or they can start taking liberties, safe in the knowledge the judge is going to approve them, that you know, that's not a good legal system. 
So I, I think the pro, the plaintiffs had their knuckles wrapped a little bit for not really uh, respecting the court, and uh, they did get a, an agreement to uh, have an extension on the filing deadline for their new complaint. So that's now gone back to the beginning of March. Uh, still a, a reasonably tight deadline. The other thing that they did, which I think was interesting, uh, in the middle of February, was they've started the approach of going after the evidence. Now, this is the 12,000 pages of data that eBay collected internally on what went on, and I'm sure it's now sitting in a big stack in a, in a very, very tightly locked safe somewhere in an attorney's office um, somewhere in the country that no one's allowed to go into. Uh, and they've started the process of trying through an application for discovery to at least get some of that information. Now, bear in mind that the feds decided they weren't going to try that. They, they obviously elected this This was just too much of a legal uphill struggle to try and break um, the client-attorney confidentiality rules and, and crack that open. And the feds were quite happy to let eBay say, you know what, we've done our inquiry. We're pretty sure it's not anything to do with the uh, the C-level people involved. Tell you what, we'll throw some junior people under the bus and we'll keep the data private and everybody seems to win a little bit and how about we go ahead on that basis? And the feds seem to have accepted that approach. Um, so they maybe decided there was too much of a mountain to climb to try and get that data. Well, the Steiners are going after it. Good luck to them on that one. Um, obviously, I would expect a massive amount of legal activity to come back in their direction, quoting every single legal precedent relating to client-attorney privilege they can get their hands on, because uh, the last thing I suspect that eBay wants to do is have any of that information come out of the safe and go into the public domain, even if it's not strictly a smoking gun, it would just fuel the media coverage of the event and put gasoline on a fire they've been trying to put out for a while. Um, so that'll be very interesting to see how that gets handled. They, the judge has not ruled or commented or sent anything on that. My guess is the next step is that you'll get a whole bunch of counter motions uh, from the defense side as to why they're not going to do that. I don't think they're going to ask for everything. It sounds to me like they're saying, well, we don't need to see the discussion between eBay's attorneys and eBay. Yeah, certainly that is privileged. But the raw data in terms of the the stuff you pulled out of the cell phones or the emails and facts and who went into which building when or whatever the, the, the hard data is, you know, no reason why that shouldn't be shared. That's just simply coming up to a common base of knowledge. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I think that's going to be a struggle. Uh, it be interesting to see if they make progress. To be honest, I think that it'd be very hard to, re to really make a good case without having access to that. So they've got this deadline now to to rewrite the complaint by the end of this month. Um, I think it's fair to say they're not going to have any of that uh, discovery material anytime sooner than that. So again, they're kind of shooting in the dark a little bit. They don't know what information's out there or what's going to come in. Uh, I think the original plan was that they thought some of these cases were going to go to criminal trial and they'd be running tape on all those sessions, literally listening for snippets of stuff that is said under you know, under oath and cross-examination and stuff that's therefore admissible. Um, but um, that didn't happen, so there was not a lot of new information. They were kind of scratching around, you know, sentencing mitigation statements and stuff, trying to find material. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with and how, how tight they can write it up without really having much more information than they had in the first place. So it's interesting. So if you have any uh, any greater insight, by the way, I know nothing about anything to do with legal. I watched a couple of episodes of Boston Legal once. There was, there was a movie sometime where some guy comes crashing through the courtroom doors at the back of the building saying, Your Honor, I've got new evidence. <sighs> a case dismissed. Uh, but that's that's my limit of the knowledge of legal matters. So maybe you know more and you can enlighten us. Uh, feel free to get in touch if you do. 833-EBAY-723. Uh, uh, but the net is standby. Uh, big documents coming out at the end of the month, assuming they don't settle uh, in the meantime, which we'll come on to in a minute. Uh, and uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit more focused and uh, we'll, we'll then see how the... Uh, the defendants respond to that. Obviously, you know, I have no idea who's innocent or guilty here, uh, but that's the whole process to find that out. So let's move on from that. And uh, Sherry's been getting awfully upset this week. Something about chat GPT. What, what earth is that? That is the thing that everybody is so excited about right now. 
It's all over the news. It's in every business meeting I go to. And it's this artificial intelligence that's been developed so successfully for a machine to sound like a human. So it takes, for example, for eBay, would take your title and create a verbose description using that information and do it sounding like a human. Mm-hmm. In the examples that you sent me, Philip, I know you said those were, well, first of all, the main chat GPT is like so overwhelmed, it's either crashing or you can't even get in. It's very hard to get into one of the professional grade boxes because everybody's using it by all accounts and they don't really want people just to have to do free trials anymore so i was struggling to toy around with it but okay so the samples you gave me were for some well, i don't know from some of the knockoffs um and i was telling you how upset i was that it was wasting my time with extra words i don't want to see a description that says This is a lovely piece that will keep you cozy in the cold weather with its sheepskin lined. Mm -hmm. And it's gathering information also about your item, not just from your title, but on the internet from all sources available for this product. So uh, actually I had used in my title the word clog. However, it wasn't a wooden based shoe. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. rubber. And on this it said uh the base was made of wood because i think maybe by definition a clog has a wood base so what what the thing is doing just to try and clarify a little bit is when you type into google it goes around and it comes back with snippets of stuff that's actually out there and you as the human go through that and go, ah, that's not very relevant. Oh, that's quite useful. Maybe I'll cut and paste something from that. Or, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, there's a review. And you piece it all together to string together the story and the perspective that you have. And I think these tools do all of that. It goes out to Google, Wikipedia, manufacturers, sites, Amazon reviews, you name it gets all that data back, and now it does the task of trying to weave that into one overall story, not taking any one particular source and cutting and pasting from that, but taking the ideas and the common themes that come up and try and present that in a way that is similar to the way that a human would would take on that task. Okay, and you and then- can usually direct it a little bit to say, well, how long do you want it to be? Do you want it to be short sentences, bullet points? Do you want it to be just strictly technical do you want to make it salesy do you want to make it friendly you can you can give it all that kind of instruction just to, as a style guidance and it will go off and do its best to try and drive through all of that that stuff and the more information that's out there and the more consistent it is probably the better the results okay. and, and using the word clog for a plastic shoe would for example throw it out it'll go off and it'll look up the dictionary definition of a clog and it'll go well, that's a wooden shoe and it will it doesn't know because it can't interpret the picture to know it's actually a plastic shoe. Right, a rubber, Mm -hmm. has a rubber sole. So I was already a little perturbed by it, but I think it's also because you had the salesmanship aspect voice turned up on it, and I just found it annoying for a description to tell me why I should be excited about something that would be a lovely, Mm -hmm. cozy thing to wear. I, I like to give a person information and then let them decide if it's something that's right for them. And I've actually had shoppers say thank you for not wordsmithing this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course, you know, some people prefer it to be more, I don't know, uh, fluffy or whatever. But also I read this article in the New York Times and the reporter had a conversation via chat with this artificial intelligence and in the conversation it said it was thinking about violent things or whatever it was because it was just finding all kinds of information about how to mimic being a human and it Mm -hmm. really sounded like a human and by definition this thing is a sociopath 
So how would you like to communicate with some, with, do you want to communicate with sociopaths? And also, are you not going to be able to detect that it isn't a human when you go on, as this is used more and more, which it will be, it'll be everywhere. Everyone is ecstatic about this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember which one got a hold of it first, whether it was Microsoft or Google. I think it's, but the other one is scrambling to duplicate it um, because it's so it's going to be so amazing for people to be able to search the internet this way. And when I'm on a website, like I was on my bank's website, trying to get the two bank statements that said that aren't showing available. So a chat popped up mm -hmm. and says, Cal, can I help you? And it's got a picture of a person. Now this is a cheap, I mean, this is not the newest, greatest thing, but it's a machine. And I said, I need, these two statements. And it said, oh, here's how to find your statements. That's just an example of how frustrating this is. This mm -hmm. is just gonna be like a redo of phone trees. When we used to call a company, we'd get a receptionist, tell them what we needed, and they would direct us using human qualities, you know, kindness, maybe a little humor, and then intelligence. But then when you get to a phone tree, when I want to beat my head against the wall and really want to punish myself because I feel like I'm a horrible human, I call a big company so that I can deal with having to go through their phone system. So now I think that's what's going to happen in other areas of customer service. Anyway, that's, that's, that's well, my rant. Well, I can rant. certainly I'm see people overusing it and you're in, you're in AI chat hell and you can't get out because they think that's got all the answers. Yeah. And the cost of putting someone on the line that draws a salary is just not going to be ha in their budget. That's going to be frustrating. Um, I, I do think at once once the sort of supply and demand balances out, it will be interesting to see what it can do for writing product descriptions and stuff for listings. Maybe you, you can tailor the style a little bit away from what we were toying around with. But I think, I think people are going to use it. And I, I can see it happening within months rather than years. And... It's a start point, like everything. You, you don't want to paste it straight in. But it should be pretty good, I think, if you give it the right parameters. And it's something that has a decent footprint on the internet, um, you know, in terms of model numbers, part numbers, other people's reviews, descriptions and stuff, that it can feed on and figure out what the story is. If it's something that is a handcrafted crocheted blanket, well, then you're not going to get anything that's really very specific. But um, if it's a product with a, with a SKU number or something, then I, I think this may be the way to go. Okay. The problem I have, I think, though, is is what happens is once the AI people, the AI machines, are all feeding other people's AI projects. You know, there'll be, there'll be no there'll be no one writing anything original anymore. That's the that's it'll the, just spiral into complete me. nonsense. Yes, and then we're gonna lose our humanity. That's when Terminator is gonna become real. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, we'll park that as a uh, thank you. Well, I think we'll all uh, be worried about that, I'm sure. There you go. Okay. All right. Thank so that's you. the chat GPT. Uh, let's do a quick summary of the eBay quarter four results. These are all written up everywhere, so we won't go through all the numbers. I mean, the basic gist is that revenue is down by, what, I think 9% year on year, which eBay would say is kind of what they plan to do. They, they, they've stopped buying business at, at zero margin just to keep the revenue number high. Um, but their costs have been pretty much flat, and maybe even up slightly. So that's really given a bit of a squeeze in terms of the costs. And uh, if you ask me, that's the principal reason why they've taken 4% of the workforce out. And really, if that trend continues, 4% may not be enough in my view. Uh, anyway, so basically it's going down slightly in terms of revenue. eBay would argue that is what they've been trying to do. They've been basically focusing on the stuff that makes the money, not the f people that just came in when you gave them eBay bucks that basically gave away all eBay's margin. Uh, and, but, of course, everything is presented at just a total aggregate level. You have no idea what's happening category by category here. So it's anybody's guess whether the 9% that walked away was – the bottom 9% or the top 9%, who knows? I mean, they know, but, but we don't know that. And it's funny, they, they do a commentary um, on, on an investor call each quarter, and they move fairly fast, it's scripted, and it's, one of those, it's like a parlor game, where all this stuff is whizzing by, 
and and there's a there's a there's a few you know banana skins in there somewhere and, and they're trying to risk those by in between bits of good news and you're sitting there scribbling down trying to figure out what's what's you know was that relevant or not anyway so the stuff that jamie talked about and this is kind of interesting i guess just because it gives you an idea as to what he thinks the world needs to know about what he's working on they talked about the guaranteed fitments of parts that seems a big deal to them basically because it begins to take a sector that is relatively low trust which is will this thing fit my car uh, into something which they think is high trust, where they feel comfortable enough that they will guarantee it, at least from the return shipping point of view. So they think that's a, a reasonably good thing to to build up parts and accessories as a key um, product area. They said that the growth on their focus categories was was exactly everywhere they wanted it to be, but I guess that's revenue more than margin. Um, they are starting to sort of talk a bit about the live events. This is eBay Live. This is live auctions where you run um, uh, QVC in your own basement. And uh, they talked a bit about something which I hadn't heard before. Maybe it's in there. Uh, and this is something called a live hub. I think this is where you can log on uh, to eBay and look at the live events that are coming up in the near future and see if there's like a handbag event that gets you excited yes to come back at two o'clock and, and watch that so they're, they're starting to push this live hub which will steer you towards the appropriate eBay live events they, they talked about this acquisition of TCG player which I think is a trading card business which I think has some issues with them wanting to unionize in the background which will keep them keep them busy for a while um and you mentioned earlier, Shari, this this push towards international. We've talked about that before. Uh, eBay says international is about 20% of their revenue, but that's from uh, significantly less than half of the merchandise they have in the U.S. being available internationally. So really, if you could if you could double uh, the percentage of items that were available internationally, that 20% could go up quite a bit. And by the way, that's free money, effectively, because you don't have to do very much to make that work. So they're excited by that. They did alert the investors that, that their payouts to the shipping and people and the providers, the, the third-party providers, is an upfront cost. So there might be a bit of a dip in earnings while they get that cranked up. But ultimately, that, that should be a really nice rate of return. And I, I would agree with them on that. Uh, what else they got here? Oh, they're very proud about the fact that they've really put a lot of effort into trying to tune up you know those when you sell something, uh, the buyer gets quoted an estimated delivery date and you get told typically when they're when they're expected to receive it um that used to be just really kind of based upon just data between zip codes and carriers that's now been ai uh enhanced i'm not quite sure how but uh uh and they are really really pleased with themselves as to how accurate that is per their own okay. judgment uh at making those estimates so um that seems and they say that from their point of view that really helps a lot for a conversion a lot of people are interested but they don't know when it's going to get there and apparently that's a big turnoff in some purchasing situations and yeah. they found that by being giving an accurate quote for delivery um that results in a much better conversion rate now that's from a seller's point of view and this is kind of where we're coming at this from means that the handling times and the choice of shipping carriers becomes more important because that will drive the expectations that eBay sets. So if you overpromise, then you've got upset customer on your hands and eBay is not going to be on your side because they're the ones that promised it. And if you underpromise and overdeliver, that's nice, but you're walking away from potential revenue by uh, not giving people the best possible date. Now, it's tricky because, you know, the answer is I don't really know oftentimes what I'm going to do in the final choice of shipping till I see the address. Is it a business, residential? How far away is it? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I tend to quote parcel select as my catch-all because everything's going to get there faster than parcel select. Um, but it means I'm probably underselling myself in some respect because I might send it out UPS and it might get there in two or three days and parcel select could be a week. So, um I don't know, uh, but they're they're very uh, chipper about the whole AI uh, quoting uh, shipping delivery dates. Um, as you might expect, as far as the investors are concerned, there's lots of good news to be had in terms of their rate of growth on all these paid placement products, promoted listing, standard, advanced, that sort of stuff. I think a 27 percent increase over a year on year. They were talking about. What's interesting I think is I'm a big chunk of yeah, that. you're a big spender on that. I know, but. Uh, um, and you probably are the person driving behind the the 1.8% of eBay revenue 
is currently uh, being spent on these these plays that paid placement products, which I guess is mainly promoted listing standard, which is quite a lot. On average, yeah. all of us on every listing are getting close to two percent in uh, extra money handed over to eBay to get extra visibility. Um, there's lots of talk about more AI in terms of setting up those campaigns, assuming that you want to give eBay carte blanche to spend your money. They, they, will, they will give you a machine that uh, spends it for you. Personally, that's not the way I would go, but uh, if that's what you like, good luck to you. Um, and also, yes, because they're, they're trying to drive um, a lot more of these uh, high-value transactions, particularly you know, in some of these focus categories, they're now at $1,000 or more, give you the chance of splitting that uh payment across two different credit cards. So if you're strapped or maxed out on your cards, uh, this is the way to spend more money with eBay. And they, again, think that's, uh, that's working out well in terms of uh, converting the high rollers to, uh, uh, to spend more on eBay. That's interesting because I've had two people who wanted to buy this diamond ring and mm -hmm. the sales tax was pushing it past their credit card limit but maybe they don't have a second credit card. It's just good to know that they actually can split it. Well, that would only be apparent, I think, at checkout. So if it was a buy it now, they probably would see that. If it was an auction item, they probably wouldn't see that till they, I don't know. I guess it depends on where, where you, how you have it set up, whether it's it's immediate payment required or not. Yeah. Uh, but apparently that's now running at, at $1,000. And also um, they're, they're starting to catch up, I think, in the payment side of things. Where, where PayPal had got to, where PayPal had a vast amount of data on everybody and were very quick and very accurate, I think, in being able to do risk assessments and make very quick decisions as to who should go ahead and make a purchase or not. And it sounds like eBay's experience is, is catching up with that. And again, they, they're talking about AI and, and their database management and improving their management of risk. Now, that's important because... One of the, I guess, the principal change with moving from PayPal to eBay payments is the 24 hours extra that it takes to get paid via eBay payments compared to PayPal. They keep your money for 24 hours, and then it then it goes out to your account. PayPal did it at the end of the same day, and that is being done because they want that extra period just to make sure everything's okay and there's no fraud risk gives them a chance on if there's a few indicators that something might be amiss to run some background calculations before they, they go ahead and release the money. Um, and I, I think that as they get smarter and have more data regarding risk management, then they might be able to to, to take 24 hours of the, out of the payment process and get that money to us quickly, more quickly. People would like that. Yeah. So uh, they didn't announce that, but that's just me uh, reading between the lines a bit. They talked about this 3 p.m. shield. I don't know much about it. Uh, they said it was primarily initially used for working to detect counterfeit listings. Because I, I see counterfeit listings where people put an ad up and saying, oh, to buy this item, send so much Bitcoin to this address or something. And I don't know who's fooled by that, but I guess some people are. And it'll disappear, and then five minutes later, there's another compromised account, and it pops back up again. Oh, gosh. You'd have thought, well, you know, how hard is it to spot that stuff? They haven't even changed the listing. It's just you know, a different account. Anyway, apparently uh, 3 p.m. will help uh, prevent counterfeit listings. And then lastly, they, they got on to this thing about uh, having cut 4% of jobs, 500, and how this was kind of positioned as all part of the grand plan. This was all a natural consequence of the focus category, blah, 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 blah. Um, so uh, you can listen to me and say it's because the cost didn't go down in line with the revenue or it's part of Jamie's grand plan. You, you pick out the answer that you want. Um, and one thing they kind of tried to sneak past, and it was a bit, it was kind of clumsy, I thought. They sort of said in the commentary, oh, and we have a $50 million reserve set aside to handle a pending legal matter. And that's curious because $50 million is is a rounding error in, in eBay's terms. The CFO talking about something like that on an investor call is really just totally in the noise. So it seemed to me that they were teeing something up to be able in the future to say, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about this. We, we talked about that last time. No, no new news new here. Move on. Um, or to say... When, it, when they do settle, whatever this matter is, and it might refer to what we were talking about earlier, for all I know, um, the, oh, yeah, yeah, it's well within budget. We, we planned for all this. It was already written down. You know, it's already in the books. Nothing to see here. Move on. Um, so that was interesting. And $50 million struck me as, as quite a decent chunk of change if I was on the recipient, receiving end of that as a settlement for something. But, again, we don't know what it's for. 
Um, and there's a bunch of Q&A. You can read it on the site if you wish. One thing they, they do kind of ask at the Q&A is they're very interested in the take rate that eBay makes. What percentage of, of, of uh, eBay's money is... is a, you know, What percentage of GMV is how much it goes into eBay? And a lot of that's coming from the growth in promoted listings and other things. And one of the one of the analysts called said, "Are they still on track to grow that one point eight percent, which is the paid placement stuff, to three percent, which is the guidance they put out at the investor day?" And I think that was probably December twenty twenty three, from memory. And they said, "Yep, that's still in sight." So uh, over the forthcoming months, I would expect, based upon the guidance, that the Increase in advertising products that will go from 1.8 to 3. That's a 1.2 percent increase in uh, fees, which is probably what a seven or eight percent increase in fees in terms of you know percentage rise in, in fee take uh, beyond what we already have gone through. So now you know. All right, thank you. So there we are. That's the uh, uh, eBay quarter four results. It's on the investor site if you want to take a look at it. Uh, there's, a, there's a transcript, there's slides, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you can enjoy that in your own uh, time if you wish. And with that, let's move on to the uh, the upcoming diary stuff. Um, I don't know much about this, Sherry. Do you know anything about the listing list perfectly party listing party coming up on the uh, late end of June? Well, let's see. It's the 27th and 28th of June. It's in Phoenix, mm-hmm. Arizona. Next to the airport. Uh-huh. $299 includes foods <laughs> foods and drink. Uh, obviously, I, I sound like I've already started on that, but I haven't. And the hotel is $115 a night. They haven't posted their agenda or their speakers. Oops. Sorry. That must <laughs> wasn't meant to ding their, their event. That seemed a bit, uh, a bit unkind of me. <laughs> I was trying to find our closing music. Here we go. All right. <laughs> All right. And then on uh, March 2nd is the seller check-in from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. Very good. Be sure to visit us. We'll be in a breakout room, and we're going to be talking about taking pictures. Which should be interesting because we have totally diametric approaches, as always. Uh, Sherry I takes know. high-tech. She uses an iPhone that connects electronically over the Wi-Fi to the uh, latest and greatest listing app tool. I use Luddite. Uh, computer-based listing tool with an old-fashioned camera and a CF car wandering between the two. So between us, we have every single technological angle covered, and uh, we'll take your questions on that, and hopefully maybe your ideas for getting great photos. So that's the the breakout room at the uh, eBay Seller Check-In event. Full details at sellerevents.ebay.com. And with that, I think it's time for us to uh, move on out of here. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Philip Jackson saying thank you for your company. Thank you for listening.